Hello and welcome to Mimi UU. I'm Mimi Nicklin, the host of the show. This podcast is anonymous and it's audio only without names to protect from unconscious bias or judgment and to allow true empathy to grow. The goal of the show is to share diverse stories from around the world by giving people a platform to share openly so that other people like you can understand diverse realities from around the globe. We exist to create empathy and not just talk about it. Welcome to Me, Me, You, You. Hello and welcome back to Me, Me, You, You. As my recent listeners know, the role of the show is to spread empathy by tuning in, by being able to hear the stories of others and put yourself in their shoes. Where the show becomes so important for growing our empathy is hearing the stories that so often don't get spoken about. Today's story is one of those stories, and it's a very exciting day because for for today, we have two guests instead of just one. So this is a first for the show, and the two people joining me today are family members, um, and they're here to share two sides of a journey that has obviously connected them both as they move through this as a family It's a story of identity, it's a story of resilience and passion, and of course, it's a story of love. So to the both of you, welcome to the show today, and I just want to open by reminding you that this is an anonymous show until such time that you choose to reveal your identities and check that you're comfortable sharing today. Thanks, we're really excited to be on the show and share our story. So I think what you're doing is great. And the the whole concept of empathy for me around our story really is key. And I think lacking empathy in many different directions uh, within this community. And and as we discuss it, I think it will become clear. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, welcome to both of you. And I am equally incredibly excited to have you both here and to have two of you on the show and to see and hear this discussion and journey through two different lenses. So let's start at the beginning Tell me why you joined the show. You just mentioned there how important you think empathy is. What's the role of empathy in your story? Why do you want the world to understand this journey that you have both been through? Yeah, so I think I kind of started in lockdown. So we had the 2020 lockdown uh, due to coronavirus. My wife and I were sitting watching TV and our son at the time came down the stairs and said, Mom, Dad, I want to chat to you and and basically said to us, I've really been thinking about it and I've been digging deep and I, I'm actually a woman. So, so yeah, we both kind of sat on the couch, looked at her and went, okay, we don't really know what that looks like or means, but okay, tell us some more. And and I think she kicked in and just started explaining where she was um, and the fact that she, she's transgender. So immediately as a family, we kind of just embraced her, said, look, we'll support you. We don't know what it looks like or what it means, but let's just do this together. And I think the journey of parenting and transgender teens specifically in this environment was kind of where our story sat. So I, I can't speak again on the lived experience of any other families on this. I can only speak on our own. But I think it's quite pertinent with regards to the movement I'm currently seeing around of this n- negative perception around transgender communities and transgender teens and parenting of transgender teens. It's become extremely topical. And where we see the school systems where we live, 
really lots of battles happening with parents that don't understand what's going on, especially with, with when they've got cisgendered kids. So their kids are actually born into the same sex and gender identity, and they have friends that are transgender and coming out in school. And they and I are having to look at how we're going to modify the environment around them. We're seeing a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of lack of empathy, and therefore pain gets caused on all sides and, and discrimination as a result. So, so that's kind of really where I'm coming from on the story. So I have my daughter with me and that she's, she can also speak to her experience, but that's where we started. We, uh, we had that experience in during lockdown and that really kicked our family into, well, my wife and I specifically getting into doing a lot of research. What does it mean? What does it look like? We got into some support groups and started to connect with other families that are going through the journey, but it's been, it's been a good three year plus journey now, walking down the street with our daughter together. Um, uh, and then dealing with the commiserate stuff that comes with that. Because for us, there was a whole lot of loss around losing our son, but it's been replaced with a whole lot of joy of gaining a daughter. So it's been, it's been an interesting journey. I can only imagine. And of course, I want to come just now to our second guest and, and hear your, your live story of that, that day. But before we move on, I, I want to ask you a very honest question as a, as a father. When you went to bed that night, so you've had this discussion in front of the TV, the TV's gone off, you've gone to bed, you lie down in the dark. How did you feel? I mean, was this a, a surprise? Did you have any idea? Were you, were you sad? Were you, I mean, how, how did you feel? How did that feel as a father? Well, look, so for both of us, it wasn't a massive surprise. So, and, and I think that's a part of our story that, that is probably different from other people or maybe. So with us, just to give you the background, we, you know, we, um, our daughter was born in 2005. So at the time, we were very happy to welcome a son into the family. For me, it was a really important thing to have a son. So I was 30 at the time, my wife was 28. And the interesting thing for us was from the time that I, my daughter could start moving around and expressing herself in the world, we noticed she was different. So we could immediately see from you know age three, four, her preferences were always moving to the feminine, despite the fact that she was moving in the world as a, as a boy child, male child dressed as a boy, in school, went into kindergarten school as a boy. She was always expressing herself in the family, always looking to dress in mom's clothes, always wanting to play with dolls. And I grew up, and we were at the time in a very conservative part of our country where I grew up as well. So this isn't something you ever saw or knew. There was nothing, we had never experienced anything like this before. So I remember at the time as a father and as a, as a sort of, I don't know if the, what the right word is, but as a traditional meat-eating, gun-toting guy, um, you know, I was quite anxious about it. It was like, what's this? I mean, I don't understand how, you know, my, my son's acting in this manner. And for me, it was really strange. And I, if I think about the guy, the man I was back then, and I look at the man I am now, I cringe. But we couldn't really see it at the time. And I remember the, you know, my daughter had standing in the queue, which queuing to get into the classroom and she, she would be standing in the girl queue and the teachers would be going, and I'm going to use her, her dead name if it's okay. Not, okay, okay. that's so cool. Right, so I'm not going to use a dead name, but the, we, you know, the teacher would say her name and say, "Look, why are you standing in the girl queue? You need, you know, you need to stand across in the boys' queue." So it was already coming along at the time. It wasn't really a surprise for us in that uh, aspect. And as she was kind of growing up, um, we saw she was very much into the feminine side of things, long hair. So in that part of it, it 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 wasn't a surprise for us. It wasn't like we had this football playing, rugby playing, masculine male child that suddenly came downstairs and said, I want to be a woman. It, it, so there was a natural, okay, well, that makes sense to us, as she then told us the story. 
However, at the time, I mean, we were shocked and not didn't really know what it meant. So, so there was some tears and some, we don't know how this looks, but we're just going to support our child. We love our child. And if this is what's making her un, unhappy, and we could see for many years that she hadn't been happy and that there was something wrong, then the depression was setting in and there was a whole lot of little symptoms that we'd noticed and we didn't really know how to deal with. So if, if it can relieve that for us, it doesn't matter what this looks like, we, we're going to deal with it. And then, of course, to be honest, if I sat there, for personally for me, my worry was how's the world going to experience this? How's my family going to deal with this? What's the reaction we're going to be getting from people we know? And so there was, so it, it was worrying. So there was a lot of anxiety and, and discourse the first night. I think we were, we knew that we were going to support our child no matter what, but we just knew that this is potentially going to be a really fucking hard road. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of where we were. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear from you from our second guest. Let's, let's take you back to the day when your mum and dad are, are sitting downstairs. Tell me, tell us. What was going through your head? How did you feel before you came down the stairs when you're thinking, right, this is today. I'm going to go and speak to my parents. Tell us about those moments before you came down to speak to them. So about two years before that, I'd come up as a homosexual. So, And that was terrifying in the beginning, but I was accepted with open arms. And so for this one, it was a little bit less scary. And so I just remember calling a friend up and being like, this thing's happening like, I'm going to tell my parents. And she was like, full support, like, I'll support you no matter what. Like, let me know what happens. And so it was a bit of a panic because, like, I'd never really heard of it. I watched a show and a transgender female was in it. And so I was like, that's what I need to become. Like, that's what my soul yearns for. And so I walked downstairs and I was like, this needs to happen in order for me to live, like, a life that's not... You know, like it wouldn't be fulfilling if I didn't live as a woman. So I walked downstairs and I just kind of was like, hey guys, how are you doing? And then it was just kind of straight into it. Like, I don't feel like I belong in this body. Mm. And I think there was a little bit of like a, okay, what is the plan? And so it was, I'd done a lot of research on hormone therapy and surgeries and like all these different things. And so I was just like, this is what I need to have a complete and full transition. Mm. But it and felt... Go on, go on. No, it felt accepting. Like, I didn't feel judged. I felt, like, welcomed. It was beautiful. I think it, beautiful is the word, right? I, I mean, unbelievable that you have a family around you that you, you know, you can have those conversations with. So to the same question that I asked your dad, when you went back upstairs after that conversation... Had life shifted? Do you think that was the beginning of a of a whole new chapter? Or was that really just the first moment in so many more that were to come? I think so. I think after we picked my name, I went upstairs and I looked at myself and it was like, this is the beginning of the rest of your life right now. And so it's it's the weirdest, I can't explain it, but it's it's like nothing's going to be the same in the best way. And how did you pick a name? That's a phenomenal, that's a phenomenal challenge. How did you choose a name? Did you know what you wanted to be called? So, well, originally... yeah, would, please, please tell me what was the name you originally wanted to be? So, originally, I wanted to be Opal. Opal? So I, just, I just 
put this in the word, look, I'm really sorry. And, and, and going to your listeners, no disrespect intended, but I said, I said, listen, sorry, that sounds like a strip in that. <laughs> you know, I, 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 and apologies if there's anyone named Opal listening to this, but it, my first reaction was, my gut reaction was, hell no. So it was a team effort. It was a team effort. So I think my thinking behind it was, you guys named me. I want you guys to be in the process of naming the new me. Amazing. And so we just kind of went through, like, I wanted something different. And so we went through, like, a bunch of names. And my dad eventually was like, oh, wait, no, before that. Backtracking a little bit. When I was three, four, I used to be called, I'd ask my parents to call me Rebecca. And so the first one was, how about Rebecca? And I was like, nah, like, doesn't feel right. And then we kind of kept going through lists and lists and lists. And then my dad said, Haley. And I was like, that's so boring. Like, and then he went, no, H-A-I-L-I-E. And like, like I got chills. Like it was like sparks flew in my head and I was like, that's the one. Yeah. So it worked with my uh, middle name and last name. And it just, it just felt like it was a cohesive name. So let's, let's go back. Okay, so your father. So, sorry, you, you, do you mind if I kick in here quickly? So I just, I just want to add. Please add. That I, th- I think for for Haley, the process that we did picking the name, I think was very positive. Yeah, definitely. At the time for me, that I, I really struggled to do this with her. So I think I can be honest about it now. Yeah. But um, the name, the name that I we'd originally gave her was really important to me. So that name um, included my father. So I, my father's first name was her second name. Um, and my wife and I had chosen her, we call it, what Haley calls it her dead name, right? So it's the name that she had before. And we don't really mention the name because it, it's quite triggering for her. But and in that sits pain for my wife and I, because for us, the, Haley's original name has a lot of meaning. We, we had a son named that for years. And for us, that was an end, you know, it was there. So, so I think we have this discussion constantly. Mm-hmm. I respect Haley's pain around hearing it but for my wife and I there isn't pain around hearing it there, it is beautifully still in that it was part of her journey and I have a tattooed on me which was a part of the problem so I kind of there's a constant reminder on me of uh, of Haley's previous name so the process where we sat on the couch and did this name pick was really difficult for me to be there and support my child but at the same time there was a lot of pain for me around letting it go if you discuss we have these discussions with other parents who have been through this before and we've been in a lot of support groups there's a common theme for us around as parents that we grieve. There's a grieving process of our, the child we had. Because the child we had, we loved, and it, it was part of our life, and we now have a new child, a different child. Different, but not really. Um, but it is different, and we and we and and there was a real process of grief for my wife and I around uh, some of this now, transition. I want to, to connect into that, and thank you for adding that in. It's super powerful. And I wanted to connect back to the acceptance of those around you, which you mentioned, you know, one of your first thoughts was how are our friends and family going to respond? You you mentioned you have a quite conservative background. And I think the role of this show, if not for any other, or one of the other 100 reasons, is that exact insight, which is so much of our lives and identities and opinions and choices, the first thing we think about is how are other people going to respond, you know, in that outside world, which is, of course, why we need more empathy, right? To, to help people not judge and not jump to conclusions. But if the name change was difficult for you as parents, let's talk about how you then brought that into the world 
with grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends. And, and you mentioned earlier the school. From a father's journey point of view, how did you do that? And how did those conversations go? Yeah, so so we're not, you know, when we actually sat down and started to talk about how this was going to look, it felt to me like we were walking into a minefield littered with glass bottles and covered with hot sauce. It was, uh, I don't know how the hell we're going to get this right. So we kind of just sat and spoke about it. And we were kind of listing our closest friends and family. And we, you know, I don't think they're going to be a problem. I, I think we can get a lot of support there. And then, you know, we've got some fairly conservative family on, yeah. on some of our sites. So we were kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go down with some of my wife's family who are extremely religious with my mom who's extremely conservative. So, so we were really worried that there was going to be pain infliction and damage to, to Haley with this. So that kind of was our first concern. So we really, with Haley and, and away from Haley, my wife and I really laid a plan down to go, look, this is just how it's going to be. So we're going to need to have this conversation and we can only have this conversation if we actually know what we're talking about. And then this kind of kicked off our first sort of movement into getting into a support group, which we did within a day, hooking up onto, onto a Zoom call, which we did with other families that had already transitioned uh, with their kids and some who were undergoing the process. And then, and so we had a great NGO that assisted us in this, run by transgender members of the community who were kind of assisting us in what it looks like, what it means, the real science behind why it happens, trying to understand all the different uh, nomenclatures to it, which I think is a part of what I want to bring to this conversation because I see a lot of lack of empathy around when people talk about the LGBTQI plus community, just the use of that set of letters for me seems, seems to trigger people these days into just lack of empathy. People are just, oh, this anti-woke movement, there's just this woke, woke, wokeness that's kind of politicized and it's taking away from the person that's there. There's a human being that sits there that's getting, you know, trying to live their life. And why is it such a, problem for you that these people want to live their lives the way they want to so so we kind of had those conversations we had a lot of help we um we did a lot of research and it kind of opened my eyes it was it was kind of like i'd never actually understood the gender construct uh, and the difference between biological sex gender and sexuality and that there's a massive spectrum on which most people sit somewhere and that's actually just okay so so we went through that process and if we can understand that, we can then explain it to our friends and family. So this is what's happening. We're supporting the transition, talking to people about the massive suicide rate of teens that are not allowed to transition and how dangerous it is that if, we've, if we have a teen coming out saying, oh, I'm transgender and we go, oh, so how are you not? The statistics are showing a huge amount percentage-wise of teens actually try to commit suicide past this. So we kind of did all the research and then started to approach our family uh, to have the conversation and... Uh, We've been incredibly lucky that to the most, people have been very accepting and supporting. Yeah. But we've had a fair number of people that haven't. And at the time, my wife and I kind of said, look, if there are going to be people that don't want to accept this, I'm also going to respect that. But at the same time say, you don't need to accept it, but you need to respect it. So Haley's done the name change. There's a gender change. So we're going to need to look at how we refer to her. And we need you to respect that even if you don't agree with it. And so that was kind of how we approached it. And to the large degree, we've had most people respecting it. We've had a lot of people loving it and accepting it. And we've had some people that just haven't. And unfortunately, those people aren't really involved in our lives anymore. So so there's been a lot of loss. So that was one part of it. And then, of course, the school was the other big issue for us. So both our kids were in a Christian school, 
So our, again, our perception was that this was going to be a massive issue there. And again, to the defense of the school, the principal was really supportive of it and they made real effort to accommodate, but there was a lot of judgment and mm. there was a lot of yeah. background issue. Um, and, and I, I think, and I can't speak on, on Haley's behalf, but I think she got a lot of wounding there. And this is kind of a part of why empathy for me is so important because there's so many parents of of what we would term cisgender kids, who are kids that were born into, who identify the same gender as that they were born into. And those parents are fearful. They hear about, oh, we've got a classmate who used to be a boy and is now a girl. And they're scared and afraid and they pick up on this right-wing narrative that we see coming through on the internet and immediately it goes to bathrooms. And this is what we see. Oh, well, we yeah. can't have... We can't have that boy in the bathroom with our daughters. It's a perverted thing. And so we had a lot of this misunderstanding happening. And it was so a part of why I want to do this show is really just to talk to people about that and just to go, look, these are these are just teenagers in this case who realize who they really are, realize why they've experienced so much pain and discomfort and dysmorphia around the fact that they were born into this body that they just don't know how to deal with. And then when they want to just live their life the way that they must and can, people look at it and go, you know, you you you're a weirdo. You, um, you're perverted. There's something wrong with you. So um, it causes a whole lot of issues. So for me, the, the empathy sits there to actually just look at the person and go, actually just feel that this person's in pain and they've lived their life in pain. So I've, so what I've said to a couple of my friends to try and explain this before is is imagine waking up, and I can just use myself as an example. I mean, I, you know, I grew up fairly conservative, you know, gun-toting, meat-eating kind of guy, bearded and, and big and I, I'm saying to my friends, imagine you wake up in the morning and you're in a woman's body. You wake up in the morning and you're in a woman's body and you have to go out into the world. And you, how would that feel for you? Besides the joke that always comes out, um, which I won't even mention now, but get over that and, and actually just think about how you would feel in a body that is that is not one you identify with as, as far as your gender is concerned. It must be extremely traumatic. I cannot even imagine it and I can't speak on the behalf of someone who's been through that, but I'm sure Haley can help us with how that feels. But it must be extremely, extremely traumatic. And so where's the empathy for that? People just need to think themselves into the situation and get a little bit of empathy around someone who's, who's living that kind of life and then getting the freedom to be able to live who they are. And then you've got the right to look at them and go, well, actually, no, I don't agree with that. Why? That, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Yeah. So just kind of speaking on the whole empathy of what it feels like, it, I think as a kid growing up with gender norms, you don't really understand them. It's it's like, here is a box, you belong in the box, don't step out of the box. And for me, it was like, but what's outside? Because this doesn't feel comfortable. Like almost, it almost felt like I was in a sauna that was just getting a little bit too hot and it was uncomfortable and it was like, I couldn't breathe. And it was just like, it was heavy. And it was like, I, I just need to open this box, get fresh air, and see what else I can do to be comfortable. And so I think slowly but surely I started peeling layers away and kind of peeking outside. And the second I'd get just enough outside, they'd slam it shut and be like, no, you can't do that. That's against what society's taught us. And I think what really saved my life is when I was at home, that box was open. And it was like, here's your aerial doll. Here are the stockings for your head. Put on the little mermaid and I would sing part of your world. And, you know, I'd play with my mom's hair. I'd use my mom's makeup and it, no one would bat an eye. And so it was so special to come home and be able to breathe. And how early do you remember feeling like that, Haley? 
or forever. The earliest memory, if I can try and remember, was how young was I on that? Maybe two or three. It was like a very like vague memory of me watching The Little Mermaid and like almost praying that I could wake up as Ariel. Yeah, so so we laugh about it now. We, um, you know, Haley was obsessed with the, with the movie from from very young. I think my mom actually bought her the the the, the Ariel doll. So. so my mom, being the, like one of the most conservative people, bought with love. Though I mean, she's not a she, she just has conservative upbringing. Yeah. But she uh, she bought Haley a doll quite a, at quite a young age, and I remember being quite upset about it at the time. Like, where's the GI Joe? And she was running around with us, and I would have to sing songs to her in the bath from the movie. So it was, uh, it, yeah. It, so it's, so it was coming from that age already, and we actually went to go watch the new movie recently. Yeah. And Hayley cried all the way through the I movie. Definitely did. <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful movie. I found it quite scary actually for a little, a little mermaid movie. But Hayley, tell us. So when you went back to school, your dad has spoken about the school. It is or was. I'm not sure if you changed schools, but a, a Christian school. How, how did you go about those conversations? So thankfully I've moved schools. So in the beginning it was a thing of let's just keep it quiet for now. Like we'll get there eventually, but let's just figure out what's happening at home first. And so I found that understandable and I was more than happy to. And so I just kind of, we kind of figured out the dynamic and what was happening at home and what was the plan. And then it was like, okay, let's, let's tell the teachers and, you know, we'll tell students and friends, but like, it is your story at the end of the day. Like, we don't expect, like, whatever you need from us, we'll give it to you. And so I did tell my class and, you know, everyone kind of, I don't know, made face and was like, we're so proud of you. And that felt good, but there was very much underlying bias or almost like, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say hate because it definitely wasn't hate, but it was like an uncomfortable feeling, almost like. Like I was the odd one out again. Like I'd always been the odd one out, but like now I was like a, I was like a needle in a haystack. Like make one wrong move and it's like, don't touch that. Like that's not okay. Like I remember someone at school coming to me and being like, oh, one of these guys said I shouldn't be your friends because you're trans. And I was like, great, thanks. Like that made my day. And how long did it take for people that I guess you, you mentioned you moved schools but to actually treat you like a, a girl, like a woman and, and, you know, start putting you into the feminine sense and and seeing you as, as the girl that you are. How long did that shift take? And, and I'm assuming that it's my assumption that changing schools help with that journey. Definitely. And I'm very thankful that I got to go to college at a young age. And so I was in the, it, I was in an a adult environment. And so... As much as it was scary, I think everyone had grown up and the environment we work in is, is the arts. And so everyone is kind of part of the community or has seen lots of the community. And so there wasn't even a question of why are you doing this? It was, hey, girl, like, let's go get dressed together. Let's go do makeup. Let's go have fun. Like the girls night out. Like it was just, it was great. Yeah, maybe. So just to add, we didn't remove Ali from school because of this, we actually just had a great opportunity to go to a performing arts degree young. So she'd been doing it part-time and the school actually invited her to join it at 15, I think. Yeah. So she uh, transitioned into a performing arts uh, degree at 15 because, yeah, she was young and, and uh, talented and they took her in and uh, it was just a much better environment. Definitely. Much more yeah. 
but we didn't no we didn't leave the school because of a uh, completely negative experience i actually as i've said i actually think the school was about as accepting as i could have expected so so there definitely wasn't a negative for me and for us as parents the the principal of the school was, was extremely supportive as much as i think they could be yeah within the confines of the the board of the school and and so forth but i do think personally they were quite happy to see that we leave schools but yeah, but I, I, I must. I do, I do want to just keep saying that that we didn't. We felt that the the that the, the principal of the school and to a large degree they supported it quite yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't. I mean, definitely. I think he made an effort, and I really do appreciate it. And my experience wasn't a horror story like some of the things I've heard at all. I did have some friends that definitely were like, okay, I don't know. Like, it was. I I do agree. I think it was the best they could do. Uh, yeah, I don't think I could have done any better. That couldn't have been any more, any more radical than that. It wouldn't have been allowed out of yeah. within the belief system of the school. That's yet yeah. another subject. Yeah, I guess I think that the you know the impact for me and like again, I'm not going to speak on anyone else, anyone else's lived experience, but on in my experience framework, the most discrimination that I've seen has been around religious, very religious community. Mm. We've seen it in our own family, people that just refuse to accept that this is something that can happen and and are very judgmental and. Utilizing in our in our respect Christianity as that tool, which is extremely distressing for me personally, and I think my judgment was that Haley got very wounded in some of that. Mm. So it's uh, it's very upsetting to me that it has pushed, in my opinion, it's pushed Haley out of believing in God, which worries me. So I personally do, and I and I have faith, but that's Haley's choice. Can I ask you a question around that because it's something that another guest has mentioned to me before, which is around some of the highest lack of empathy and discrimination can, in on occasions, as you just mentioned, come from religious context. I am not by any means an expert in Christianity or any other religion. However, what I do know that connects nearly every religion on the planet is community, is understanding, is forgiveness, is acceptance. As honest as you can be or would like to be, can you explain to me why... Christianity would push away somebody within their community because of identity. Why is that seen as not acceptable within the Christian faith? And and again, please be as honest as you're comfortable in being. I think, and it's been a while since I've been in been in a proper like Christian environment, like home. I think it's accepting of the fact that I'm not Christian, so it's not in my face constantly. Yeah. But at, at the high school, there was some passage and like, I think it was, but man shall not lie with man. Yeah, like and I mean, I've heard that it's actually been transcribed from man shall not lie with child. And so that line was used and twisted. And I, and I think people who take the Bible face value use it. And they're like, but these are the set of rules. And I think... The Bible is a little bit more, and I'm not speaking on a believer, but just how I view the Bible as a um, religious book is it's very interpretive and it's very, like, it's it's not face value. Like, this this giant being wouldn't make these words face value. It would have meaning. You have to meditate on them. And I think people take face value for what it is, and they don't question it. And I think that's where the lack of empathy comes, is when you don't question how does it feel for somebody else? They just go, the book says that's how it should be. And if I could add, I, I, 
as a Christian myself, and I uh, grew, we grew up, you know, Catholic. I don't understand. I don't understand where this comes from, and it's a constant course discourse uh, issue for me, which is that I don't get how what I've seen is the, the Christian community will go out and go to prisons and sing and dance with murderers and rapists and and preach to them and and have community and so you know and support them within the prison system. But at the same time, they won't even have a discussion or a talk or allow their children to come near a transgender team. Yeah. I don't get it. You've got a normal person living their life, wonderful community, you know, contributing to the community, loving, never done anything wrong to harm other people, just live, wanting to live their lives. And they are completely rejected with faith, just rejected out of this community. You go, it's a, it's an abomination. How many times have we heard? Yeah. And, um, but yet they'll go and, 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 you know, hug, hug arms around rapists and murderers in a jail and come back to the community and say, wow, you know, we're, we're living this Christian life. So as a Christian myself, I find it very hard to absorb. I don't understand it. And so there's a constant conversation that I'm trying to have with people around this to go. And I try not to get angry around it. And I actually just, this is the empathy story for me is that I'm trying to have empathy for them to go, okay, you explain to me why it's like this. And I can never get a real good answer. And then say, can you not just have empathy for the person that's it? He has a, a person who's living their life who just wants to be who they are. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal to refer to the person in the gender that they identify as? Why is it such a big deal to refer to a non-binary person as they and them? I mean, this is yet another you know big argument that I see happening constantly. So it's extremely frustrating as someone who has had some experience within the community supporting my child. And I really just want to... I want to channel my empathy to just keep trying to educate and then ask for everyone else to just get out of the politicizing and get out of all the all the stuff that's currently running around and flying around. And you don't need to have you can have an opinion, but you don't need to you don't need to injure people or hurt people around their lip block. Mm. It sounds to me, and again, this is my my takeaway from hearing you, that that is quite a tiring journey. Would that be accurate? It's extremely accurate. I, 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 I lose. So, so the inter. I mean, the internet being the internet. I mean, it's it's an horrific place at at worst. But we're on a lot of community groups, and I'm pretty constantly now seeing a very right wing narrative that's coming through from the states. So, so there's this narrative that's developed in the US that's kind of landed in South Africa, and they are pushing a whole lot of these videos that have been done by right wing guys using a lot of misinformation, taking kernels of truths and building these massive lies around it. And it's specifically around teens and gender transitioning and the use of puberty blockers and hormone treatments. So all of this stuff is kind of, they're taking little bits of fact and they're bringing a whole lot of hate into it. And we're seeing it land here now. And it's, it's extremely frustrating and, and soul destroying for me to consistently have to try and come in with reason and go, hey guys, just take a breath. Look at what you're looking at. These, these things that you're showing us, look at the person that's done it, it's, you know, and, and trying to just show them how, how negative it is. And this also to explain that every single transgender person has a different journey and the utilization of some of this medication in our experience, and we've seen, we're part of the community is done with a great amount of respect for very good reason. And is it completely understood? No, probably not. But we've just seen parents assisting their children in transitioning in a way that makes them safe. And it's been done very responsibly. So, so we... I'm kind of constantly frustratingly trying to just pull this narrative through to people to say, look, do you actually know someone who's who's walking this journey? No, I don't. Well, then actually you don't really have the right 
to spot this kind of hate off online. Rather have a chat with someone like me who's who's lived through it, and and I mean we can chat a little bit about some of the some of the some of the gender transitioning healthcare that we've had to yeah. go through with with Haley and and the battle that I've had around our you know medical insurances and and doctors. So so it's it's a it's a really tough road to walk as a family, and we you know we're constantly running into massive barriers, both from government through to insurance companies through to you name it. It's it's difficult to do. But having said that, I think we are extremely lucky to be living in the city we live in. Mm. I think we live in probably the best city in the world for this. So we've got a lot of constitutional support through through our government. So it's written into the law, it doesn't always get applied, but um, I think we, it's a much more accepting environment yeah. where we live mm. um, as opposed to living in some other parts of the country that we're in. So. But uh, it's it's uh, certainly full of challenges. Haley, I, I want to ask you, when people talk about you, and many of the people you know in this community as transgender, which is, of course, accurate. At what point, and perhaps the answer is never, but do you stop being referred to as transgender and just be a woman, the woman that you are? Is that a reality for you? Are you waiting for that? Or is it a very comfortable term and you are happy to be known as transgender forever? That's a really good question. Well, I I really feel like we should reach a point where it's just, a woman, a man, a person, and it doesn't have to be labeled as transgender. I don't know. I feel like as much as it is, it's 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 a term that I take with pride and it's like, that's who I am. I feel like as a society, we need to reach a point where it's no longer needed, where you're just a woman, a man, or a person. And it's not even like, were you born that way? It's just accepted. And it's just, I think that's where we're, we could be heading but that's that's my dream for the community, is for all kind of labels to be thrown out and just accepting everyone. Hmm. Let's let's touch on suicide because you mentioned it earlier. We know that the suicide levels around the world, not only associated to identity, but often you know there's a connection, are raising, are rising, I should say. Recent data in Singapore, in fact, came out about two weeks ago. And it showed that the number of suicides in Singapore this last year was higher than the total number of deaths in COVID-19. And of course, in COVID, we locked everybody inside and didn't let them you know, leave the house. So there was relatively extreme measures to keep them safe. So one can debate and discuss that suicide is a bit of an endemic in our world, and yet we're not talking about it. You mentioned earlier as a father that suicide rates for transgender children that aren't allowed to walk the journey and become, you know, comfortable in their own identity, those rates go up. Is that something that you feel people are discussing? Is there enough out there to help people? And then I would come to you, Haley, and say, has that impacted you? Do you know people who have considered this, are on this journey, have taken their own lives? How how much has this sort of endemic around the world affected the two of you and the communities that you are supported within? I've never actually had a friend in the community take their lives. Fortunately, I've never had to experience that amount of pain and trauma. But I think I definitely have been in spaces where I've sat and I've kind of been like, there's nothing for me anymore. And I think that a lot of my friends have been there, but no one's ever taken that last step. And that, and sadly, no one, no one's had to go into that, that super dark space of, taking that that final little glimmer of hope away so you know thankfully uh, my friends are still kind of 
living in hope. Yeah, maybe. So I think also we, I think our experience in this is probably probably a little skewed because from the get go we've been extremely supportive of, of Haley and we've been involved in in support communities and all the rest of the transgender kids and family families that we engage with are all supportive of their kids. Mm-hmm. So we're not seeing it happening because we're we're allowing the kids to to do that mm-hmm. to to be who they are. So. So I can't speak on that. I also don't know of any personally or of any transgender teams that have committed suicide in our space. But I know within the NGOs that we work, they've got a lot of experience there. So where there are kids that are that are not allowed to or are, are just not accepted, and it happens often. So you know, we went to go see a psychologist as a family quite early on into the journey, uh, recognizing that we would we want some help, and we went to a psychologist that specialises in dealing with families that have transgender teens and. The feedback we got from her really was that as a family, we're pretty unique. As parents, we're pretty unique. So we, she doesn't really see this very often that parents are as accepting as, as we seemingly were. And she's experienced a lot of it. So there's been a lot of suicide. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of rejection of, of children, families walking away from their kids, walking away from their adult children. So it's endemic. It's huge. Uh, it's a big deal. But as I think a part of where we're seeing some of this kickback or lashback occurring currently is that there's there's just such a lot of acceptance building, which is great. And we're seeing s- spaces becoming safer. And therefore, we're now seeing a large number of teenagers that are starting to feel safe enough to step out into their gender fluidity. And so and so, in most schools, they're now starting to see this happening quite regularly. And I think that's adding to the to some of the problem we're seeing, which is parents who are conservative, who don't understand, who have cisgender children, who are looking at it going, wow, this is bad. This is wrong. This is a trend. This is cool. Kids just trying to be cool. These are kids with mental issues that are stepping out. The schools are permitting it. It's really not right. I've now got all these people wandering around the bathrooms with my child. And this is the narrative I'm hearing from a lot of people who are rejecting this and causing some of the issue. And schools are fighting massive battles. And and we're seeing where we are, government kind of taking steps backward now to allow uh, or to prevent discrimination. So we're now starting to see within our support groups, a lot of schools more conservatively based schools are just refusing to allow or to accommodate transgender children in their space. And it's making it very, very difficult. So this is empathy story. So this is just really to understand that there is a much higher level of, of suicide. We know this statistically of, of kids that are not permitted or, or are not supported in their, in their transitions. And I just really, yeah, I'm, I'd like to, I'd like to see some empathy developing that way. And then conversely, empathy from the transgender community towards cisgender people asking questions. So, yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of lashback there as well. So so people who are genuinely interested in, in understanding and may not know and may not may not necessarily know how to ask the questions in a sensitive way. Um and it may come across a little bit unsensitive and then there's this discourse and people just go back in their box and go, Okay, well, I don't want to ask that question because I get lashed or I get told that I don't understand and so it becomes a problem. So I think a part of this doing the show is actually just to ask for that empathy as well. Yeah. So Hayley and I had this conversation to, and I know it can be difficult because I'm not transgender, so I don't know what it feels like, but I can imagine somebody asking not stupid questions, but unsensitive questions could be, could be quite traumatic for transgender people. And then they shut down. So, so I know I get people within my space and I'm quite open around our family's journey. You will ask questions that I know that if I was probably, you probably know that if I was transgender, I'd be offended. And it always comes around to genitals and yeah. asking the question about that and uh, and for me to then be able to push back and say, well, guys, it actually isn't about that. So people transition in lots of different ways and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's any type of 
surgical interventions, that doesn't always happen. In fact, it doesn't happen that much. So it isn't really, it's not about the body that much as it is about who they are. I, I want to begin to close only to allow you to go back to your lives. But Haley, I, I think you mentioned earlier, or one of you mentioned that you have a sibling. Is that correct? I do. And what gender does your sibling identify as? She is born female, identifies as a female, as a woman. Sorry. Wonderful. And tell me, how is your relationship with her as sisters now and, and this journey that you two as, as women have been through together? That's a shift, right? From brother and sister to sister and sister. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. So it was a massive shift. If I'm being, I'm going to be completely honest here. Before I transitioned, I was, I was definitely unconscious unconsciously jealous of her and so I would ridicule everything she did and I would I would bully her and it was just this deep-rooted jealousy of you have what I can never have and that was before I knew what transition was so in my mind I was just stuck this way and she got to live her life out the way I was supposed to and so it was this massive jealousy battle and this massive arguments all the time and then when I came out, I just walked up to her room and I told her and I was like, but like, I'm Chance. And she was like, but you're, you're already my sister. Like we've always been sisters. And so I think, and it makes me a little bit emotional and it's like, like she's such a little like being and it's, I really do appreciate the love she gives me. And you're like, I think she is one of my biggest supports, like seeing such a young kid, but having unconditional love for someone and the community, it's like, it's so special. And do you think it's been difficult for her with her friends and her community to to go from saying my brother to my sister? I definitely think it was a little bit difficult for her. And I think she took on a little bit of trying to defend me to her friends, which I'm thankful for, but I never expected her to. So a lot of her friends would still refer to me as her brother or, you know, the guy or the boy, and she would defend me to the nth degree and so she didn't have to do that but she I think she also feels a, a little bit of a passion like my parents do about the community so yeah well thank you both very much for sharing your story today and I could probably do another two hours because me like many of my listeners I'm sure there are just so many questions and certainly I can only talk from my side which is that they come from a really good place and I think you tapped into something there earlier around Empathy goes both ways. A lot of my work is in leadership. And one of the things I come up against all the time is that junior and mid-level staff in organizations have this assumption that only the senior people must empathize with them and they are not responsible for empathizing back up the chain in those businesses. And I think what you touched on today is that need for us all to be able to be curious, to be able to ask questions. Of course, there's sensitivities around it. And of course, they need to be respectful. But as you so quietly, you know, rightly said earlier, sometimes those of us that are outside of the transgender community or the identity journey that you have both been through in your separate ways as a family, we just want to understand. But likewise, as you've touched on today, the lack of empathy out there in the world that just accepts that we are all human and we are all far more alike than we are different. And at the end of the day, what, what has the physical body got to do with it? Really? You know, we are, two, we are who we are. And, and I also just want to close off with, you know, I often come up against people saying it's a choice, you know, that, that, that Hallie's chosen to do this. I just want to leave the listeners with that. Why would anyone 
choose to step into probably the most marginalized, discriminated community? Why would anyone put themselves through the barriers, the pain, the judgments, the comments? Why would anyone want to do that? It doesn't make any sense. So, so I just want to leave the, leave some of the listeners with it. I get that often. It's a choice. It's a choice. And I'm going, well, I'll be, you must be crazy if you think that this is a choice. It is not a choice. It is. And in our environment, we saw it right from the get-go. That that is just how Haley was born. We don't know why, but I'm incredibly blessed that we've been able to support her in her transition and see a different child, see the relief from the pain, the relief from the stress to be able to live her authentic life. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as a parent, just consistently trying to uh, make sure she doesn't get hurt in the world. And I can't always do that. So I'm lucky she, I've got such a brave child. So. I think the, the the other the other part of that for me is just the bravery. So we're incredibly proud of Ali and her bravery in stepping into the world. And she's always been completely, uh, authentically, bravely open to say, this is who I am and fuck everybody else. So yeah. it's been brilliant. So I'm incredibly proud of her. Thank you. Well, thank you both. And Haley, you know, well done on that on that braveness. It is a difficult world out there. And to stand up and be both proud and confident in who you are at a young age and make it into, you know, theatrical school at, again, an incredibly young age just shows that you are on a path to utterly wonderful things in the future. And I, for one, can't wait to see where you where you get to. We know your name, Haley, but what about your dad? Are you willing to share your name today or would you like to remain anonymous? No, I'm, I'm very happy to share my name. So my name's Anthony Shmali and uh, we live in Cape Town, South Africa. Beautiful, beautiful city. And as I've said, very blessed to live in such a beautiful city that is um, very accepting. I think within our privileged side of the community, we're pretty accepting yeah. to, to diversity. So we're we're very happy to live here. Yeah. And thank you for the time. Thank you so much. Thank you both. And to all of the listeners, thank you for joining us today on another one of these empathy stories that I really hope has allowed you to step into a world and a viewpoint and a perspective and identity of someone else for the 45 odd minutes that we have been together today. Please do subscribe and follow us for more stories coming your way that hope to open more empathy in our world. Thank you for joining us today on Mimi UU. This episode is one in a series that has been designed to create empathy in our world. If you would like to join us on the show, please click on www.joinmimiuu.com or follow us across social media at Mimi UU Show. I believe that the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. And I hope that this show is the beginning of doing just that.